Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. But what of the man? I know his name was Guy Fawkes, and I know in 1605 he attempted to blow up the Houses of Parliament. But who was he really? What was he like? We are told to remember the idea, not the man. Because a man can fail. He can be caught. He can be killed and forgotten. But 400 years later, an idea can still change the world. Welcome to Exposition Street, celebrating geek movies in all their splendiferous glory, a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric, your host for this evening. Thank you very much for joining us. We have a very special, very geeky movie on tap for tonight. And I think I see Vanessa with the graphic novel or something. Yes, yes, yeah. you do. <laughs> uh, let's uh, go ahead and introduce the cast, get everything rolling here for today. Are we ready? <coughs> as ready as, as we're going to be. be. <laughs> That's, that's good answer. Good answer. So over here in this corner, everybody is a hero, a lover, a fool, and a villain, and he's all of them. It's Richard. I just hide behind a mask. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> we we got to talk about the way I came into this today. Uh, by the power of truth, she, while living, has conquered the universe. And sarcasm. It's Vanessa. Darn right. Yeah. Yeah. I need I'll to take appreciate it. that. <laughs> Uh, behind his mask, there is more than just flesh. There's also a healthy dose of skepticism and a mean game of cribbage. It's Jason. Is it meaningless to apologize? <laughs> <laughs> In advance? Never. Yes. And finally, well, because we know you and we love you anyway. And finally, people shouldn't be afraid of their government. Governments should be afraid of the kid. Remember, remember what I had for dinner. Oh, wait, I think I forgot. <laughs> That's about this checks about, out. right? That's legit, man. Oh, we are doing the V for Vendetta. Wow, this one's been on the list for a while. Like I, since we started, yeah. <laughs> I do not know what I was thinking exactly. I, I went into this. I decided to put it off until today to watch this movie to get ready for the show. And I am wow. reeling. This is ridiculous. This movie is ridiculously dramatic and intense. And I'm still kind of shaky. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing everybody's thoughts. Uh, this this movie I I had realized recently. You know, I I actually bought this on like Blu-ray at one point. I think it's still in the plastic. I I saw this movie I think once, just once, for a movie that I really think I rather feel think very highly of. I saw it just once, and after watching it today, I think I realized why, because it's a lot. I have and, two uh, that was in the on theater. DVD and one on Blu-ray. <laughs> that was at the theater. I saw it at the theater. Uh, Jonica and I went and saw it together. Actually, it was a, one of our very first uh, uh, date movies. So it kind of uh, worked oh, out. Oh, wow. That. What fact, a date movie. Right? <laughs> it came out. Uh, uh, well, I got the. Um, I will tell you <laughs> if I have the right document in front of me. Oh, I do. I just didn't change the name from Hocus Pocus. We're talking about Hocus Pocus. No. But we're talking no. about the version that was released no, on again. March 17th of 2006. That's uh, right. This is Hocus Pocus by the Wachowskis. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> I think I went on a date to this movie too, come to think of it. <laughs> oh, and you guys are still together? No, it's probably a different person, I, wasn't it? No, I not that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't know how long you and your husband have been together i know how long you've been married but you know that's different uh, let's see 2006 yeah, 05, i was still w- with the first fiance mm. number one at the 05, box 04. office uh with 25.6 million dollars in march it's not bad it was rated r a runtime of two hours and 12 minutes i felt all with two hours and 10 minutes of exposition yeah <laughs> <laughs> well done you know i noticed that a lot of my options for clips were talking some more talking there was, there was a lot of talking, Lots of clips talking. In this thing. but you know to be when, fair, when they do give you an action scene it bloody delivers i'm just saying and, and to be fair i could listen to hugo talk for a while it doesn't bother yeah, me I was that to say, much no hugo it's has good. the voice for it <laughs> I'm there. Which is good, because in this movie, his voice is pretty much all he has. <laughs> and yeah, yet, well, it is still a hmm. masterful performance. It is. Oh, absolutely. And it isn't just vocal. It isn't just vocal. It is a definite combination nope. of, well, we'll talk about it. It's like lighting and, you know, body movements. And, I mean, they had to work very hard to make that character come to life since you can't ever see his face. Make him larger and, than uh, life, no less. Did a lot. Did a lot. In a future British dystopian society, a shadowy freedom fighter known only by the alias of V plots to overthrow the tyrannical government with the help of a young woman. That is the blurb. Uh, pretty much straight to the point. Directed by James McTeague, uh, who did such interesting things as Ninja Assassin in 09, The Raven in 2012, which is uh, pretty good. Uh, he did several episodes of Sense8, and I do love some Sense8, so there's that. Uh, written by Lily and Lana Wachowski, Wachowski, uh, who we know from the show, of course, because uh, they, you know, are also writers for Jupiter Ascending and Cloud Atlas, and everybody knows them because they did the Matrix movies, and uh, the list goes on. Wait, have we and not David done the Boyd. Matrix? Uh, we have not. <laughs> yeah, we have this thing about you know. It, it, okay, do we want to do a critical viewing of the Matrix? I already have my my critical viewing of the second and third movie. We're very critical. I was not talking um, about the movies that you guys kept saying don't exist. I was talking about no, never mind. <laughs> David Lloyd uh, got credit, of course, keeps the the graphic novel. No, why did why does his name on there? This is an Alan Moore shtick. Is his is his name David on the Lloyd book is in front of you? Okay, yes, together. Um, right I didn't Next get Alan, Alan Moore. Moore listed for some <laughs> reason, but I mean, this is an Alan Moore story. Yeah. Alan Moore. Oh who, yeah. He was pissed about the movie. <laughs> oh yeah. Who religiously and persistently sense. hates every adaptation that Hollywood does of his <laughs> amazing stories. And if you know, to be fair, in the, the 40 checks, pages that I've read of this, mm-hmm. in the 40 pages that I've read of this, it is a very different story. <laughs> That's that's legit. Although, you know, so much of the dialogue is lifted right out of the graphic mm-hmm. novel, which I think is cool. I mean, context probably a little different, but And the um, graphic novel isn't read by Hugo Weaving. No. <laughs> but I imagine Hugo Weaving's voice. <laughs> 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 which just makes it better. Eat yes. that, Alan. <laughs> Uh, music by uh, Dario Marinelli, uh, who uh, did like the Brothers Grimm in 05. He did Anna Karena. And I mean, he had a long list of like credits, but most of them were not movies I really know or felt like we, you know, our audience, like Pride and Prejudice, stuff like that. But he also did the music for Kubo and the Two Strings. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. Kubo and the but, Two Strings was amazing. I've oh heard my of God. It. And the music <laughs> was a big part of what made it good. Oh, you know, it was a very musical movie. It was beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, yeah, definitely worth watching if you haven't. Yeah, it's it's well, it's animated, uh, but it's it's a very unique uh, story. Well done. 
and uh, starting Mr. Hugo Weaving. Now, I was looking at Hugo's career and noticing that uh, we didn't really know Hugo before The Matrix, so I didn't feel bad about the fact that I didn't really know Hugo before The Matrix. Uh, he was Agent Smith in The Matrix from 99 to 03. He was Elrond in The Lord of the Rings from 01 to 03. Uh, you see his career, you see a pattern here. Uh, he was the voice of Megatron in the Transformers movies. He was Red <laughs> Skull in Captain America. Several characters in Cloud Atlas. Yeah, and Valentine and Mortal Engines. I mean, he is still doing amazing stuff. Well, Mortal Engines, people would argue whether or not it's amazing, but I liked it. <laughs> yeah, a ridiculous premise. Great movie. And uh, it bombed. Natalie Portman as Evie. And those were the uh, the big top billers. And of course, this was right after like Revenge of the Sith, which came out in 05. So she was just wrapped up the Star Wars stuff. Uh, she was working after this, but not a lot of, you know, genre stuff. She's really kind of done mostly drama. Uh, Black Swan was in 2010. Uh, Your Highness and Thor came out in 2011, which kind of got back into geekdom. Annihilation was in 2018. And of course, she recently did Love and Thunder. And Natalie elevates everything she does to a new level. And this was, yes. in a lot of ways, no exception. Um, I thought I thought they had amazing chemistry. <laughs> Again, given the fact that you never see his face. Yeah, it was... Yeah. Something. It was something. Rupert Graves uh, played Dominic. Didn't know him for much of anything. He was Lestrade in the Sherlock TV show with uh, Mr. Cumberbatch. Oh, I yeah. Right. I, which I thought he was fine in. You know, which one's okay, Dominic? Whatever. Um, the, uh, the, the, the main cop's assistant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He did most of the driving and stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, the one that yeah. got maced. Finch yes. was played by Stephen Ray, who uh, was actually doing a lot of stuff during this period. But again, very British. Uh, interview with the Vampire, though, he did in 94. Uh, accused Cardinal Rishnu in the uh, Rishnu in the Musketeer, the one that came out in 2001. That was very uh, European. And uh, Underworld Awakening in 2012. You know, he's doing I need stuff. to rewatch the Underworld series. Uh, need is a relative term. I need and to. I didn't say you needed to. <laughs> no, I, I definitely back her on that. Oh, you think so? Absolutely. I like the series. <laughs> It's. I liked the first couple movies, all right, and well, no, I liked the third one too. It was more like in the past and different characters, but yeah, you know, I I, I kind of lost the thread after that. I was having a hard time getting excited about it, um, yeah, but I love the style of the films, and I do like um, Kate Beckinsale a lot, but not for many reasons that have much to do with those movies. I mean, she's great in them, but whatever. Yes, uh, Stephen Fry as Dietrich. Love I'm Stephen a huge Fry. Stephen Fry fan. So big a fan love, of love, Stephen love Fry. Can't can't do can't go wrong. Man cannot go wrong. Put him in a movie, and even if the movie sucks, he'll be great. Uh, he was the narrator in Hitchhiker's Guide the year before this. Uh, the next thing I I really oh, picked shit, out of was, his lineup. He? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that voice, man. Uh, he did a lot of narration. He did a lot of you know animated films. He was the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. <coughs> this also which doesn't we've had surprise <laughs> Uh, Mycroft Holmes in the second Sherlock Holmes movie, the RDJ uh, Game of Shadows, uh, which I think was in 2011. And Master of Lake Town in the Hobbit movie, The Desolation of Smaug. So good. And recently, Gilbert in The Sandman. If you haven't seen The Sandman, oh, I still need check to watch that, that too. Oh, yes. Now, see, there's a need <laughs> that I agree with. I definitely agree with the fact that you need to watch that. Fair. And the last one I wanted to make sure I mentioned was Mr. John Hurt. You can't the man, not the myth, the legend. Adam Sutler. And I loved his performance in this movie. The only reason I didn't capture more of it is because it was too much. It was like, okay, and I, I'll talk about this a little bit, because when it comes to pulling clips for this movie, it was hard. I can imagine. And I mean, some of it was easy. Some of it was obvious, you know, especially early in the movie. You know, it's just like one after the other after the other. It's like, oh, yeah, that's great. Got to catch that. Got to catch that. Got to catch that. 
once you and start getting into the meat of the of movie, oh yeah, right. Uh, but the meat of the movie is is so oppressive in a lot of ways. It is just the mood is so heavy, uh, and, and the clips don't make it any easier. He you is know? an intense character. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I which, loved him, John Hurt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was. That's let's see. Around this time, he was Ollivander in the Harry Potter movies, which is a lot nicer uh, than. He, he, yep. <laughs> he was Broom in the first Hellboy movie, also nicer. And uh, he was Kane in Alien, which I just had to throw in there because I recently watched Alien again and realized that John Hurt was in it. I'd forgotten. And <laughs> so, he was yeah. Kane in the Spaceballs parody of Alien. Yep, he sure was. was well, probably Not Guy again. in Diner, but you know. <laughs> Mm. Not again. Yeah. Freaking great. The fact when, that he says not about... again makes it canon that it was Kane. <laughs> right, he, right. He kind of died the first time around, so canon is a, you know. I wouldn't have made that connection. He doesn't look the same. Oh, no, it's he's aged a tad. Oh, yeah. Uh, box office, $54 million budget with a $25.6 million opening weekend. So made it's half its money back opening weekend. $70 million uh, gross in the U.S., $132 million worldwide. Did pretty good for itself. So uh, that's, ladies and gentlemen, hocus pocus. No. I need to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see uh, in your looks for oh, trivia that for the six first six weeks of filming, Hugo Weaving was not under the mask? Yeah, James Purfoy played. That's one that I actually knew already mm-hmm. because I'm actually a James Purfoy fan, interestingly enough. See, I had to look up who he was, and I still don't know who he is. We've seen him on the show, really actually, good. once. Uh, he was in A Knight's they, Tale. He played the the prince, the black prince. Oh. Um, oh. They, they totally yeah. did the lip syncing well, though. You couldn't even tell. <laughs> the lip sync, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the director's all like, I could tell. Yeah. But <laughs> it, it, it was, I can't it was even great. imagine his voice in that role. No? When, well, you know, I kind of can. Again, I've I've... He's one of those actors I've always marked when I see him and stuff, and I like his voice. It's not the same. No. Hugo made this movie, but I like James's voice. It would have been it would have been okay. Uh, not not Hugo though. It would not, it's not on that level. They made the right decision. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit to the, the I usually do I do all this stuff while I'm pulling clips for the movie. Right. I play the movie, and every once in a while, when I see it, when I hear something that I know I need to pull, I'll pause everything. I'll go back. I'll take that clip out. You know, I'll go back to the. Movie. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, I'm putting together my notes, all the stuff on the show, you know, the the, the actors and the director and all that stuff, and the, uh, the box office, and and then trivia because I always you know pull a bunch of trivia that I find interesting from various sources on the internet. Halfway into this movie, I forgot I was doing clips. Oh no! <laughs> Much <laughs> less. Any of the stuff. And I have not had that happen in this show. And I'm not I'm not saying that's because it's the best movie I've seen or anything like that. It but was it just you in. too riveting, too compelling at that point. I I just was so caught up in it and the feelings that it was generating that I kind of completely freaking <laughs> whoops failed <laughs> to get much in the way of trivia. So uh, so if you've see, yeah, if you got stuff to talk about, definitely throw it out there. And so before we get too far off the description, I did want to note that it says in a future British dystopian society on page one of the book, this takes place in 1997. Which was probably <laughs> in the future at the time. Yeah, when it you started writing it, it was 81. It does not take place in 1997 <laughs> in the movie. It was 1996 when the female that wrote the note met her girlfriend on Victoria? the set of the Salt Flats. 
Oh, they should have no. at least like picked the date that was in here. <laughs> and that was three years before she was in the cell. So she was in the cell in 1999, and V has been plotting his revenge for 20 years. The movie takes place in 2019 slash 2020, give or take a year. What a great huh. timeline rollout, man. Yeah, I like yeah. it. That's impressive. So just as COVID's hitting, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, who would have seen the world going to complete and utter chaos in 2020? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on Disease. the plus side. <laughs> riots. <laughs> The U.S. What? didn't turn into a leper colony? <laughs> the, the United States Civil War? <laughs> none, none of that happened, or even got close. Yeah. Oh, wow. There were a few moments that I th- I actually thought we were getting closer than I wanted to get being gotten. Yeah, yeah, no yes. doubt about it. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I always love dystopian stuff, but it, it does fascinate me. And we talk about it anytime it comes up, obviously. When we see stuff that was written long enough ago that they, you know, set it in a future that's already passed, uh, that we've already, you know, the other side of already, like the Blade Runner phenomenon, you know, I really don't know. I mean, they, they didn't, they, they're not inconsistent as far as like, they, I, we didn't see technology that didn't exist or anything like that. Yeah, so if it's supposed to be about now... Well, there were the scanners and the sweepers and the... Well, we saw yes, implementation. Yes, on the other side of that, they were still using laser discs as a storage medium, so... Right, they hadn't obviously imagined outside of that yet. Yeah. Oh, this was being filmed in, like, mid-2000s, early mid-2000s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we still had... We still were doing a lot of discs and stuff then, weren't we? Yeah, it was a micro-DVD, so it was yeah, futuristic. Yeah, I always loved that. To be fair, because I was still saving smaller. stuff on discs, diskettes because no one had a disc reader anymore, and I knew that no one was going to steal my stuff. <laughs> That's legit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Alan Moore created the comic, which was you know, a series. Uh, following his negative experience with From Hell in 2001, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen 2003, oh, we need he to decided to reject... All money and credit from Hollywood on any adaptations of his work. So uh, he really did stop cashing the checks. He gave all the money he would have gotten to the to the artist who drew the character with him and rejected his own creative by credit from the movie. He wasn't listed on the movie for that reason. I knew there had to be a reason. It didn't show up. I was like, wait, what? he did from hell? I wondered why it said Alan Moore on the cover of the graphic novel and not on the movie. Because he, he doesn't have anything to do. Yeah, he did from hell. I didn't know that. Good. good one. <laughs> Like I wonder if Alan Moore's beard came. We had to get a Mikey reference in there somewhere. The uh, and he also did the Watchmen, and I, I mean, I that one I I'm knew. sure he hated it. I have it that too. graphic novel too. <laughs> I'm sure he hated it too. Oh, I'm and sure. It, ironically, because I mean, a lot of the movie, the Watchmen, a lot of the movie was like lifted right off the page. But I think that it, you, don't, you don't have to change much. I think for him to be pretty much writing you off. You know, it's, it's whatever. Yeah. You know, how- well, and one of his major. Sorry to interject. No, you're good. One of his major complaints is right on the uh, the point. It's you can't translate his work out of that medium and into a movie without changing the experience dramatically because he uses a lot of the unique features of the graphic novel medium very effectively and very creatively in his work. It just doesn't translate. Yeah, but, which is great. I mean, it's fine. I that's one of the things I think. The, the, I mean, with the yeah. adaptations for a reason. 
Well, that's what Douglas Adams took the exact opposite embrace, and each media of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was purposely different to take advantage of the media. <laughs> well, that was Douglas Adams. <laughs> the man was nothing if not self-contradictory. <laughs> right. <laughs> the Hitchhiker's Trilogy? All five books? <laughs> All five. And they are accurately named Hitchhiker's Trilogy. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like there's, I mean, how many, what, what's the most, like, true to original source material adaptation you think you guys have seen? If you, I mean, maybe I should give you a minute to think about that one. That's a, that's actually a big question. Specifically of Alan Moore? No, 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 because you're not going <laughs> to, again, you're not going to find something no. that makes Alan Moore happy. So what's the, what the hell's the point, right? No, but there I, are some things that less than entirely set off any but his most rabid fans. I did love the first <laughs> Harry Potter movie as far as going from book to screen. Which was an easier adaptation than the others because it was the shortest book. Yeah, you know, the third one annoyed the shit out of me and the fourth one did oh, too. The <laughs> third one's the when they changed methods. <laughs> Do you have something, Jason? I was just going to say, and the, the first one that was the easiest one and the shortest still left out half the book. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they did it in such a way that it wasn't problematic it didn't change anything it right didn't, they, like, they didn't leave anything out everything. that was they, they didn't leave anything out that was massively needed but like the death day parties and you know but things like that in that the later movies gone. there was definitely big the fourth of movie they could have turned into two movies easily they they cut out <laughs> oh, yeah. so much don't give them ideas <laughs> this is bad enough they did that with the last book they shouldn't have done it with the last one the last one they probably no. could have put in one like, movie yes jurassic park three all the missing pieces from the first two books <laughs> <laughs> just kind of like just like That's like a puzzle they did. just we, put those in a blender and made a movie. to make an entire movie let's do that puzzle yeah. box where they just kind of like dropped some pieces on the floor and someone said oh we could make something out of this well, that's, that's the- how uh, Mamma Mia was made. Dude. <laughs> I love that movie, though. I would say the best uh, translation I have seen would actually be Batman the Killing Joke. I was very impressed. Well, DC animated stuff is a different thing, though. I mean, they- but to, yeah, to go from a graphic novel to an animated feature is not as different a medium as it really seems. Yes, and yet they still usually don't do it very well. <laughs> that's true. The Killing Joke was really good, though. It's been a I long really time think, since I've seen that one. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I, I was just talking about this the other day with somebody that there was something that I thought was r- ridiculously well adapted. I can think and, of plenty of I things mean, that are poorly hmm. adapted, but not really many well, that are good yeah, adapted. Not a top <laughs> list, right? We do love to complain. Don't even get me started on Aragon. <laughs> All of V's dialogue was dubbed. No surprise. Makes sense. Initially, a mask was designed with a small microphone inside, and another mic was designed to sit along his hairline, but neither worked out very well. So That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I'm still trying to come up with one movie that I think was really well adapted. I can think of a couple TV shows that are good adaptations of books, but movies is a TV tough shows one. TV shows are kind of too easy, because they, if they really want to, they can. Because it's because yeah. they can do it chapter by chapter. Yeah, yeah, you have so much more space to work with, basically. Yeah, great adaptations. Oh, that was great expectations. I was like, isn't that a novel in its own right? <laughs> great adaptations. I thought of one. I didn't read the book until long after I saw the movie, but I thought I thought of a good ap- adaptation. <laughs> Only ones I can think of are like very old movies. Let's see. One of mine is from the '90s, I think, and the other one's from older than that. So yeah, mine are two. <laughs> 
Oh, no. Oh, don't I was even. talking no. like To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I was actually just thinking of To Kill a Mockingbird, too. Yeah, it was a really... 1950-some-odd. A really... I mean, that there are some things that a, they changed. They didn't but, change a lot. Mm, not a lot. That one, is, that one is pretty genuine. But, you know, then again, who really cares? That so movie I was, was to think such of shit a that we slog. actually care about. That was the book. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember reading that book for school, and I... That was at the point in my life where I could read and not feel like it was sucking the soul out of my body, but it still was sucking the soul out of my body. That book in particular. That and The Great Gatsby. No. <laughs> I've been wanting to... I never got... Because it's The Great Gatsby. I haven't gotten around to watching the um, Leo I Caprio. hated the book so sure. bloody much. I and I hated I the old movie of it so bloody much that I can't even bring myself to try watching the new version. Do you struggle with old movies, though? Not necessarily. I do. <laughs> I do. We were talking the other day about how horrible it would be if they did a reboot or a remake of Arsenic and Old Lace. It Love wouldn't Arsenic and Old work. Lace. Yeah, I don't think it, it would work under the modern sensibilities. It wouldn't. They could try. I, I would still watch it, but I'd have a feeling totally it would not work. It. I've never actually it would seen... Be a disaster. I've never actually seen a it. film adaptation of it. I've only seen the stage show. Hmm. <laughs> How have you not seen the film? Gary Grant? How have you not seen this? I Because I don't love old movies, honestly. Oh. He has it's a, problem a watching really old well done one. It is a I mean, super well done one. still an old it movie. If, basically, if I didn't see them in my youth, I've never made an effort to go back. The I few times my role-playing characters off of characters from that story. The few times in my life that I've been tempted to go back and watch something, it's because somebody raves about it so much, and then I end up watching fucking The Maltese Falcon and realize this was a waste of my life. <laughs> yeah, it's like Arsenic wow, and old this was the height of cinema in nineteen twenty something, thirty something, you know what I mean? I own multiple copies. But Arsenic and Old Lace is um a great a great stage play. I've seen it twice with different companies and it was almost identical. I can see that. So it's a yeah. good script. On a completely unrelated note, am I the only person who wants to see a reboot of E. T. directed by Michael Bay? Of which? This yes. Of, of, of E.T. Eat what? E.T. Directed no, by Michael Bay. Zero desire. Of course, I didn't like the original E.T. I e. totally want to see that. Okay. Just, I totally want to see that. All of the lens flare from the flashlights that replaced the rifles. That would be J.J. Abrams. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. Michael Bay's explosion yeah, Michael guy. Bay would replace Michael Bay's explosions. explosions. Yeah. <laughs> but J.J. Abrams <laughs> would want to record it actually in outer space just to make sure it had the realistic effect. And of the two, <laughs> Abrams is more likely to do an E.T. remake than Michael Bay because he and Spielberg are old buddies. But yeah, yeah. It's true. I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to decide now. It would be a very different movie and has, you're right, has absolutely nothing to do with this conversation. Uh, anybody think of any adaptations? Good adaptations? Yes. The, no. Like, I, the only stuff I could think of was like, you know. But that's what, did. what you got? Matilda? Wow, that's a kid's yeah. movie, though. It's a kid's movie. Princess but it Bride. It was a good adaptation. Princess Bride. Mm -hmm. Technically. Princess Bride was a horrible no, adaptation of the no, book. Yeah, not at all. I liked which it. Which made it a great By movie. An exceptional the book movie. that most, that many of us have read <laughs> the, was an adaptation of the version that it was based actually based on. Yeah. Not the I mean, original version. Yeah, not the, the original one. <laughs> the version it was actually based on, it's a good version of the movie. Uh, you know, Not though, the original I, novel. <laughs> I, I don't know this. I still don't know if I agree. Because when I have got around to reading that book, I've read it a couple times over the years. I still I try, because you, you do this, right? If you, if you have, especially if it's a beloved film, 
you have the characters in your head. So when you read them on the page, you're more likely to envision those characters, hear the voices. Et cetera, There's only et a couple things that are different. Uh, but some of them are different enough that it drove me nuts. Fair. Like Fezzik. You know, there was just, there, when there are dynamic differences, and you're probably less likely to get that with a graphic novel adaptation. That's fair. Because comic books have drawings of the characters. So they, they have something. Oh, I know what movie I was thinking of. It was a kid's movie too. Holes. Holes was really good too, yeah. Oh, Holes yeah. was an almost absolute precise adaptation. Except for the fact that the director didn't force a child actor to go from fat to skinny in film time. Yeah. That's right. Stanley was supposed to be overweight at the beginning. Uh, yeah. But also, we, they, I think they were kind of like, it was like a shorter period of time in the movie, maybe a little bit or something. They weren't focusing on that. Yeah, we uh, did a movie that was a great adaptation. What's that? Odd Thomas. I've never Odd read Thomas the book. was fantastic. Odd Thomas was an incredibly great adaptation. But I never read the book either. The new version. I heard, I heard it was oh, the same. The new the Dune material. movie is pretty good adaptation. De- now that's legit. I, it was <laughs> that's legit. Very impressive. Not the old one. Yeah, the old one's bad. <laughs> the, which, the and one of the fascinating <laughs> things about that is that I think one of the things that made Dune so interesting to see them do now is because the visuals are so easy to interpret in different ways. You know, we've seen a couple different takes of Dune over the years or variations of it, you know, heading into that world. And they tend to vary quite a bit in the way they visualize things that are described on the page, but they're not necessarily diverting away from what's described. It's just how you picture it, right? Which is the beauty of novels. Yes. Anyway, uh, back to V, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Back to V. We have a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about. In all Indeed. of in all of John Hurt's scenes, he only blinks once. Oh, that I've, explains so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never made that observation, but I totally get it because that ups the intensity so much. Which, you know, add that onto the fact that he's also always like h- head filling the screen and the screen is 40 feet high. And, you know, yeah. you're on base, which, you know, point. Which makes the one blink like the F-bomb. <laughs> you have one, take where you put it. This is an R-rated film. They could, they could add as many blinks as they wanted to. I'm just to. saying, I'm just, just saying that, that that adds that intensity by only having one. Uh, uh, Natalie Portman said that she looked forward to buzzing her hair, saying that she'd always wanted to do that. Wanted to do it for a long time, so <laughs> that's, that's kind of that sounds nice Her hairdresser is the one that did it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there's a funny thing, too. Do you remember watching this the first? Everybody had seen this movie before, right? This wasn't a first time viewing for anybody. No. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I've, I've seen it before. Okay. Many times. Uh, Me too. The uh, knowing, obviously, that it's V during every scene where he's pretending to be somebody else. Hearing Hugo's voice, even if you know that they are that he's you know moderating it a bit to not sound quite like himself. Like when he was had her in the jail, in the prison, in the dungeon. He had like four different voices in the jail. Yeah, but you could still tell they were Hugo if you're listening and you know. Oh, if you know. Yeah, uh, it it really kind of throws me now because I know the first time I watched the movie that I didn't pick that up, you know. And I'm I'm really good with voices. It's just you get lost into the story, and I wasn't following that thread and thinking that way, right? I still don't think that way when I'm watching it, and I've seen the movie a couple dozen times. Oh. <laughs> Okay, I guess that was an embarrassing topic for you then. Sorry about that. <clears throat> oh, no. I'm, it doesn't doubt. I don't doubt it in the least. Actors can throw voices and make changes all they want, but I, 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 I have don't make to the admit, connection. One of the things that I noticed, and I, I wish I could say I was completely blindsided by it the first time, 
but when they shave her head, the hands are red mm-hmm. under the plastic gloves. Yeah, they definitely give and you hints, you know? We had seen the red hands cooking the eggs, so when I saw bright red hands under rubber gloves, I was like, wait a second. And then I noticed Hugo's voice, and I was like, this isn't real. Not to mention every person he pretended to be wore gloves. I mean, and both there you go, times right? I watched to it, be fair, I completely a lot of missed people... it until the well, reveal. So, so did the finger. So did the finger. I was about to say, a lot of people wore gloves in this movie. I, Speaking I of fingers. completely missed it. I watched it for the first time on November 5th last year. Oh, and, okay. Uh, so it's a relatively new I watched new it again this year, and yeah. I, I went through that whole scene, and they got to the end in the guard, and I'm like, oh, that's right. I remember now. Yeah, the whole the face in blackness the whole time thing. But but they but he did the hair, you know, he had the wigs and stuff. It was really good. Yes. He did a really good Creedy impersonation too. Yeah. He did. In the original graphic novel, V's cause was anarchy, not freedom. We're gonna get a little political because the movie is <laughs> very political. Yes, it is. Um, Alan Moore was very critical of the movie for changing what he called the anarchy versus fascism structure of his graphic novel into what he saw as an exploration of American neoliberalism versus American neoconservatism that should have been set in the U.S. instead of Britain, in his opinion. So I, I've, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, where he's coming from on that is a lot more personal to him, you know, so I get it. But because of what we've seen over the last several years politically happening in our country, that doesn't seem like a huge jump anymore. No. Uh, no. Not really. If, I know. feel weird that there's something I agree with Alan Moore on. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, it, and it's interesting because as an American viewer, and this was the same in, you know, 06 when it came out, as an American viewer, their commentary on America during the story is kind of jarring. Yeah. You know, it, and, and part of that, I think part of that is because we're so used to anything, anything American has a very kind of America first kind of policy to the way they deal with story. Anything that isn't American, especially with European, typically either ignores America or has an almost America first kind of policy when it comes to story. Like, you know, you don't ever just turn it into something completely odd like that, off like that. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> they're over there, oh. they're savages. It's barbarism. I know. I know why. Because I, I was always thinking it was all about anarchy, even though they didn't say it in here. And like, this is pretty much all about anarchy. It's because I'm a huge Chumbawamba fan. I love all their stuff. <laughs> And, that, and they have a lot of anarchy I, bents in their, okay. in their music. That, that meant nothing to me. I, was, I, was like, I, yeah, I, I had I, lost I, the connection. I, I drink a whiskey drink. <laughs> I drink a lager drink. Yeah, but the album before that's all that I know. was actually called Anarchy. <laughs> okay. so that's why he said he likes all of Jumbo. Well, and then the V in red with a circle, you know, has that because the A. And it felt that way. Yeah. yeah. To me, I, I it screamed Anarchy. And but, the one time when he said, what is his goal with this? They cut away to the guy in the mask in the gas station that shoots up the place and goes, Anarchy in the UK! Blah, blah, blah. Right. Which, you know, of course, that's classic sex business. Yes. But anarchy versus fascism seems like such an easy get. I mean, it, 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 and the only problem being, I think, that as an American, particularly, we don't typically celebrate the construct of anarchy as a heroic concept in in f- fiction. No, not you know, really. Because the, I think because historically we have enough evidence where lawlessness creates a collapse of society, where people like me are victimized, you know what I'm saying? 
that that kind of thing. I mean, I have one marketable skill, and that's the guitar. I don't think it's going to get me very far in the in the apocalyptic world of the postman or anything. I I just saying, I I don't think anarchy is something that we usually think of as that's the the point we want to get behind. You know, uh, kid, yeah. I know you have other opinions. <laughs> I've been trying not to uh, voice them, actually. So I'm trying fair. to I'm trying to be more general. You know, I'm not specifically um, I'm not talking about the individual perspective as much. But. Right. Obviously. Uh, see the exchange between EV and V that ends with V saying a revolution without dancing is a revolution. I actually have that clip because it was so good. Do it. It's a good. reference to. Oh, do it. Listen to her. <laughs> Listen uh -oh. to Farm her. for me, monkey. Like, yes. This is dance. Monkey. Dance. <laughs> this I is why this you movie, don't mention you have happen. clips. Here we go. B is for Vanessa. May I inquire as to how you've avoided detection? No. My fake ID works better than a Guy Fawkes mask. Ah. I must confess, every time I heard a siren, I worried about you. I worried about myself for a while. But then one day I was at a market. And a friend, someone I'd worked with at the BTN, got in line behind me. I was so nervous that when the cashier asked me for my money, I dropped it. My friend picked it up and handed it to me. She looked at me right in the eyes. Didn't recognize me. I guess whatever you did to me worked better than I'd have imagined. I have a gift for you, Evie, but before I give it to you, I'd like to ask you something. Would you dance with me? Now, on the eve of your revolution? Oh, revolution without dancing is a revolution not worth having. I'd love to. <laughs> it was a lot more than just that, but I loved it. I found myself holding the breath just listening to this. Yeah, so, uh, me too. A, a the music is really good for that one. Yeah. Well, the music was actually well-placed in this movie all around. I mean, up to and including the Benny Hill theme. I mean, it was all good. Oh, gosh. For that what was it was. Perfect. <laughs> so uh, perfect. I felt... I felt like a lot of that was intended to be a tribute to the the uh, characterization yeah. of V because he selected the music. He curated it very specifically and incredibly effectively. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, but th th it's a reference to that that um, exchange. It's a reference to a famous paraphrase of the words of American anarcho-feminist Emma Goldman, uh, late late 19th century, early 20th century. One version of the familiar line attributed is, if I can't dance to it, it's not my revolution, which I've heard before. Um, this particular phrasing wasn't hers. It's a distillation of it, though. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting for those who are interested in, you know, the, the source the way back. Yeah. Uh, let see. In the graphic novel, Dietrich is not only Evie's lover, but a slimy, cynical man and more an accomplice and culprit of the system than a victim. In this movie, they made him a gay man who criticizes the system, hides his homosexuality, and ultimately dies for it. Of course, Stephen Fry advocated heavily for those changes to the character, being both a passionate defender of gay rights and a government critic. Yay. There you go. Well, but they actually killed him for possessing a copy of the Quran. Yeah, I, that was interesting that that was the fallout, right? It gave an interesting definition to what the government considers bad. And I appreciated that they followed through on that. Yeah, I, I don't, In my opinion, I don't know about you know how the Wachowski, Wachowski's felt about the source material, you know the the graphic novels. But I mean, they were writing a script for and you know adapting that mm -hmm. material, but they do really well paced dialogue and action sequences into their scripts. 
I don't think that uh, I have any complaints whatsoever with the way things lined out like that. Um, let's see. I don't really have much else. If you guys have anything, I could do some more clippage. Funny that. Too much of that. <laughs> We're going to spend the next hour listening to Eric play buttons on his screen. <laughs> I can say if you're trying to base this off of the graphic novel, almost all the characters have different names too. Interesting. I'm kind of making like wonder. Evie's and V's names are the same, but those are like the only ones. Really? Like wow. Sutler's name is different. Diedrich's name is different. Like so many of them are different. <laughs> I remember coming across something that said that the uh, flower they called something different. The because the real flower, the Scarlet Carson, the real flower is a Violet Carson. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because they made a reference to it starting with V. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I bet that they didn't feel like it was like, like it would confuse people because it's a red flower. And like the like different that. bodies of government are actually references to different pieces of humans, like the finger. That's what was I was going to mention when I said fingers. Finger. Yeah, the fingermen. The, the eye, the nose, the head, the ears. Cool. <laughs> uh, and, and of course, the Matrix does have some similar themes, you know? It's been a minute since I've seen the Matrix, but yes. I, well, from what I remember, at least. Well, we'll have to do the Matrix Reloaded for the show, I guess. <laughs> Actually, I'd really love to compare and contrast this movie with uh, Equilibrium. That one's been on our list for a while, too. We've had to drop it once or twice because it would Which go off streaming right as we got to it. You know, check on it. Equilibrium would be good. But right. it's also... I mean, it's also pretty similar here, you know, dystopian future government controls the people thing. Well, see, now I'm on board. Oh, good. Oh, good. It, I mean, it's, it's that, it is not streaming why, exactly currently. why I have never seen because that's exactly why I'd love to do the comparison contrast, because there are some fascinating similarities and some incredibly fascinating uh, uh, oppositional themes portrayed between the two movies not streaming currently i wouldn't have um i wouldn't have thought of that but you're not wrong i always thought uh, equilibrium has a very vonnegut kind of inspired foundation so anyway uh see judgment usa alcid sphincter of arcerica i mean what else can you say it was a country that had everything absolutely everything and now 20 years later is what the world's biggest leper colony why godlessness let me say that again godlessness it wasn't the war they started it wasn't the plague they created it was judgment no one escapes their past no one escapes judgment such a beautiful irony uh okay so this one you guys would have been you know i I would have been crucified if i didn't pull this clip here we go i can assure you i mean you no harm who are you who who is but the form following the function of what? And what I am is a man in a mask. Well, I can see that. Of course you can. I'm not questioning your powers of observation. I'm merely remarking upon the paradox of asking a masked man who he is. Oh, right. But on this most auspicious of nights, permit me then, in lieu of the more commonplace soubriquet, to suggest the character of this dramatis persona. Voila! In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran, cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. This visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi, now vacant, vanished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin, vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. The only verdict 
his vengeance. A vendetta held as a votive not in vain, for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous. <laughs> Verily, this vicious soise of verbiage veers most verbose, so let me simply add that it's my very good honor to meet you, and you may call me V. Are you like a crazy person? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you weren't going to cut it off before she said that. <laughs> this vicious swage of verbiage. Uh, I, I, I love how he starts with voila. Voila. Because yeah. it actually starts with a V. And he yep. actually pronounces the V, which you he, he did. don't often hear. <laughs> voila. <laughs> I am so charged up right now. <laughs> I just love that scene. <laughs> So uh, that's alliteration. Oh my god. Was that one in the uh, graphic novel? No. No, I didn't think so. <laughs> that is an but example. I love alliteration. That is an example at that point of in the movie adaptation. Yeah. I, I will say I have tried to memorize that and I have never been able to get it down. I want that in a poster with all the V's done with the red. I love a lilting line of liter- oh, yeah. lyrical alliteration. Yes, and it was so beautifully done, and I love alliteration anyways. So at that point in the movie, the first time I watched it, I was just like, I'm going to love this. It was excessive. <laughs> that, that was the, the, the funny part was that the first time I watched this, it's in the theater, right? So if this had not been in the theater the first time I watched it, I could have rewound it and watched and that again. Again and again and again. <laughs> Which I'm sure I would have done at least once if I'd had the option. And I'm glad I have the voracious vocabulary to follow what he's saying. Right? Overture! Then it was hard. Tell me, do you know what day it is, Evie? Um, November the 4th. Not anymore. Ooh. <laughs> Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. First, the overture. <laughs> the little sequence was so good. Masterful. The best part uh, is that song's not copyrighted. <laughs> And I had forgotten, uh, to be honest, when I, when I, again, I hadn't seen the movie for like 15 years, right? 16 years. So I'm watching it and I remembered, oh, he, this is explosions is what he does here. He's made the point mm-hmm. about doing, I do mostly percussion, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so I saw, I was expecting the explosions. I'd forgotten he actually got the loudspeakers playing. Yes. Tchaikovsky. I was just floored. I, I had the same reaction as Evie did at that point today when I watched this. Yeah. I can, when she goes, I can hear it. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I hear something before she said it. The composer is working in some brass and some strings here that yeah. aren't actually happening. And then she's like, oh, it is happening. Oh, I did hurt. not see that coming for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again. <laughs> so. Add it to the blacklist. I never want to hear that piece of music again. <laughs> and he never did. That's legit. Yep. Uh, speaking of Sutler, here we go. Whoever he is. Chancellor, he's very good. Spare us your professional annotations, Mr. Finch. They are irrelevant. Apologies, Chancellor. Gentlemen, this is a test. Moments such as these are matters of faith. To fail is to invite doubt into everything we believe, everything that we have fought for. Doubt will plunge this country back into chaos, and I will not let that happen. Gentlemen, I want this terrorist found, and I want him to understand what terror really means. England prevails. <laughs> England prevails. Yes. 
little bit of little bit of solid there to get you. Get you I think he it. knows what terror means. I mean, even though it doesn't start with V. Well, no, it starts with S. <laughs> I did not understand that at all. Uh, so. <laughs> The plot of this movie is remotely similar to uh, The Count of Monte Cristo, which was referenced. I liked that in parallel as well. By the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, both stories revolve around characters who escape from imprisonment and uh, seek revenge. Those are responsible. The reason that didn't seem, it doesn't seem as obvious on the surface is because that doesn't feel like what that's really about. But when you understand V's personal motivations, although it may make him a little less than his um, high minus persona. Yeah. It, it it also does make it more vital, you know? and so I think that's interesting. And the County of Monte Cristo is is a story I really love. More vital, more vibrant, perhaps. Again, the version he was watching, not a movie I've ever watched. Interestingly enough, no. But after seeing this, I kind of want to. I Although they spoiled the ending. <laughs> Get your own treat. <laughs> Dude. It'll be okay. To be fair, they spoiled zero of the story. <laughs> but I already know the story of the Count of Monte Cristo. During the parody so sketch uh, that Dietrich broadcasts, the fake Sutler is, of course, John Hurt. <laughs> Just in case anybody was wondering. Which is even better. So, uh, he felt that this movie was rather like a combination of 1984 and Alien. <laughs> I'm just kind of wondering if he's ever Has he consumed. seen either of them? He was starred in both of them, so he's <laughs> like... I can see some of that. Of course, 1984 had Newspeak, which was like the opposite of the vocabulary vomiting going on in this entire film. Have, have you ever watched the actual movie, 1985? I read the book years and years, I, and years ago. I don't I've never know if watched I've seen the movie. the movie. I love the book. I, I never could bring myself to watch the movie. I didn't think it could capture it because the yeah, movie was released I in the 80s. I don't, I don't think I've... Uh, maybe I did sit down and watch it once, but I don't think it captured and, me the way the book And if they did. made one now, it would seem acerbically weird because, like, it's 1984. <laughs> so... Eh, well, but I mean, you realize I read the book after 1984. Well, yeah, I did too. I was nine in 1984. I wasn't going to comprehend that. I wasn't alive, so... I was 10 and I had read it. <laughs> I'm sure... Uh, let's see. Butter? That's delicious. Hmm, good. God, I haven't had real butter since I was a little girl. Where'd you get it? A uh, government supply train on its way to Chancellor Sutler. <laughs> you stole this from Chancellor Sutler? Yes. You're insane. I dare do all that may become a man who dares more is none. Macbeth. Very good. I love the little exchanges between them. That was one of my favorites for some reason. Yeah. And I, I love the way it hits her. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm eating the Chancellor's butter. That's lovely. <laughs> well, and it also goes to show the hypocrisy because obviously real butter wasn't readily available to the general public. No, it's a luxury. Right. Mm-hmm. But Chancellor Sutler could have it? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Which but that it, was... Yeah, a lot of references to that kind of stuff too. Just little references. Yeah. Let's see. Symbol. Here we go. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. And you're going to make that happen by blowing up a building. The building is a symbol, as is the act of destroying it. Symbols are given power by people. Alone, a symbol is meaningless. But with enough people, blowing up a building can change the world. I wish I believed that was possible. But every time I've seen this world change, it's always been for the worse. 
Another thing I really liked about their exchanges is that was the end of the exchange. He didn't mm -hmm. try to offer some aphorism or assurance or anything. Uh, she made that statement and it stands at that point yeah. in the story. And then I thought, I thought that was interesting. They never tried to make it so that he had all the answers. He was just mm -hmm. focused on what he was doing. Just like uh, I've got like a clip from the, the scene with the, the woman um, who he kills in the bed later on. It mm. just just like there, he doesn't focus on anything but exactly what he's there to focus on. Or a Delia, and, you know, whatever. Delia Surge. Delia, yeah. yeah. That one. Uh, I, 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 I tried not to focus a whole bunch on just them two, but frankly, they're the movie. So they really yeah, are. It's kind of unavoidable. Uh, let's see what this one is. Violence. Did you have anything to do with that? Yes, I killed him. You. Oh, God. You're upset. I'm upset. You just said you killed Louis Prothero. I might have killed the fingerman that attacked you, but I heard no objection then. What? Violence can be used for good. What are you talking about? Justice. Oh. I see. There's no court in this country for men like Prothero. And are you going to kill more people? Yes. Put that in your D&D &D character's pipe and smoke it. In the graphic novel, he 100% okay. killed the uh, Fingerman. <laughs> oh, nice. I'm pretty sure. He 100% killed them in this movie. Yeah. Not necessarily. They didn't show him actively killing them. Uh, he didn't I, stab any of them, for spared example. Spared the rod. Plank. <laughs> it showed him eating them, not yeah. necessarily killing them. Yeah, I'm They're dead. on that one. I, I, he, and the fact that he says right there he didn't kill them. You know, but he no, he says, them. I might have killed them. You didn't go, we didn't go back and check. He didn't. Nah, uh, he went ahead. Well, I, I got the impression from the context that he was saying, I might have killed them, but I didn't have a need yeah, to. Yeah, that's, that's what but I picked saying. up also. I'm not oh, saying that's not what right. I picked up. <laughs> he said, yeah, no, but, I, but I, had, I totally picked up that. He said, I, we, I might have killed them, but I had no issue with them. I oh. didn't hear any objection at that point. Oh, I hear I what you're saying. I might have killed them, but I didn't hear any objection from you at that point. I see what you're from saying. Yeah, that, that does was, twist the, the yeah. meaning a little bit. I could see it both ways. That's interesting. But in the scene with the Fingerman, he beats them against walls really hard and stuff. And then there's the one scene where he actually you know picks up like the baton or the dagger, mm -hmm. right. the butt into the dagger or something. You know, it's the baton. It's, right, it's not a slicing know. sound. It's a beating sound. So If they had yeah. a concussion, they may uh, never wake up. They his, may wake up. His magical kinetic muscular powers that he has, yeah. when he hit the person hard enough that they oh flew God. into the brick wall and, and the, the brick the wall, wall crushed moves. behind him, <laughs> that guy's chest cavity is gone. At the very yeah, least, no, I, he's I, got I, fractured yeah. ribs and almost certainly mm. punctured lungs. I mean... Yeah. And the fact that it was curfew, no one was going to stumble across them. They're dead. Let's see. This one's called Creedy. I can't remember if it actually has Creedy. 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 Yep. What are you doing here? Several prominent party members have been murdered, Chief Inspector. This is no ordinary situation and requires more than your ordinary attention. The Chancellor demanded my immediate involvement. It'll be hard to run an investigation if you're detaining all my witnesses. The security of information is paramount. In these volatile times, mistakes like Jordan Tower can no longer be tolerated if indeed Jordan Tower was an accident. What does that mean? Terrorist seems to have a rather intimate understanding of our system. The Chancellor suspects there might be an informer. Are you saying I'm under surveillance, Mr. Creedy? At this time, it would behove you to cease any investigation of matters that have long since passed. 
and concentrate on the concerns of our present. I really liked Finch. I liked his role in this story. It was interesting because it didn't have much direct impact on the, the primary tale that was being spun. He was a witness of the story, not he, necessarily yeah. a contributor to the story. And he represented the fact that the ripples of what the two of them were doing throughout the world was causing other people to start looking at things and asking questions. Yeah, he I, gave us a window. I felt that the evolution of his character and the way he ends the story was mm -hmm. as much a powerful support of everything be espoused as anything in the movie. Yes. And without him, we he wouldn't have got his hands on Sutler. That's true. So he was also true. Used. Good point. There Good was point. a plot so point. there was a there was a point of utility there. But uh, I thought Stephen Ray did a really great job with him. I thought he he had oh, that yeah. weary and 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 weariness and it's still that kind of dedication. You know, the wanting to believe what he was doing was right, but also he played cop very well. Yeah, also <laughs> dedicated to the truth, to getting to the truth, which has to be a really hard person to be in that society. I yeah, that right. Kind of I really admired as it became more and more evident that he was a public servant who actually cared about serving the public trust, especially yeah. being as such that he was one of the the five men in the room where it happens right yeah. yeah yeah which makes that a really kind of a surprise doesn't it yeah like that's really not where you expect that person to be because he had to spend his entire career to that point ducking and covering to get there yeah you know? he can he see was the, the only person in that room that wasn't a yes man yeah a dangerous yeah. prospect i know <laughs> masks you see we're both fugitives in our own way <laughs> you're wondering why you were invited here to supper in the first place if my appetites were for less conventional fare. Unfortunately, a man in my position is expected to entertain young and attractive ladies like yourself. Because in this world, if I were to invite who I desired, I would undoubtedly find myself without a home, let alone a television show. I'm sorry. Not as sorry as I am. And the truth is, after so many years, you begin to lose more than just your appetite. You wear a mask for so long, you forget who you were beneath it. I love that line. Stephen yep. Fry's delivery. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because he has so much dynamic, you know, range as a character actor. And seeing him do yeah. something like this. We will be revisiting this particular character uh, during my wrap-up because I have uh, something very specific to address regarding. Oh, okay, cool. I, I will say the very, very first time I ever watched V... As soon as he started making Iggy in a basket, I got suckered in to the coincidence, and I was like, wait a second. They make a big deal that there's no such thing as coincidence. Is he V? And then for that split second, he goes, well, there's a very simple explanation. I'm V. And I was like, no. And then he said he was joking and went on about his business and got killed. And I was like, oh. The coincidence pushes more than just the food, in fact. He greets her the same way. Mm -hmm. I, I had this I had this somewhere. I'm trying to remember where I saw it. Because uh, his first line, because I thought it was in this, so I, I looked it up rather than going back. Uh, but it wasn't anywhere in the trivia I was looking at. What was it? He greets her, I think, in French, mm -hmm. which is also the same way V greeted her. And uh, there was also the music that was playing. The music that was playing in the background during the scene where V was making a breakfast was the same music, same artist yep. that was playing in the scene right there where he was making a breakfast. I mean, it was very faint, but like stuff like that is like, you, we are really pushing the margins here a little bit. Very subtle, but fun. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, the rose thing. Yeah. It's funny. I was given one of your roses today. 
I wasn't sure you were the terrorist until I saw it. What a strange coincidence I should be given one today. There are no coincidences, Delia. <laughs> Only the illusion of coincidence. I have another rose. And this one is for you. You're going to kill me now. I killed you ten minutes ago. While you slept. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That one got me. Mm-hmm. But I'm just skipping yeah. all the upbeat clips, by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> there are upbeat clips? There are upbeat clips? I was actually oh, come feeling on, bad. You guys watched the, previous, the movie? The previous clip where there was about masks, I was kind of giggling, and I was like, that's really inappropriate right here. But okay. I was giggling because when I got on the Zoom call earlier, at the beginning of our <laughs> recording session, because we record Expo Street over Zoom, I live in a different state than everybody else on the show. And uh, I I got on Zoom and and they they planned this really well because um, Richard even put a waiting room up because he had control of the call and that's unusual and so I was sitting there just kind of waiting to get in. I finally get in and all four of them are wearing freaking Guy Fox masks <laughs> and they're not in the same city all either. So I mean, <laughs> I I was impressed. What was that one word you said? You said seriously. <laughs> I wished I'd been. Re I should have recorded that. It was great. You got a picture though. You got a pretty good picture. I was proud of myself. I planned that in yes. advance by a lot. <laughs> that was well played. Beautiful. Vanessa yeah. got us our masks, and I helped distribute them. And on that last clip, though, I I love the fact that she was the most remorseful of of the people. And she was given a gentle, the most peaceful death. She still, and she yeah. knew she deserved it. And she was given that oh. as opposed to the others who definitely did not deserve a peaceful death. And I absolutely loved it. The exchange between him and her when he first appears. Are you here to kill me? Yes. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> because she she'd been stressing so much over, you know, the guilt and the anticipation and the wondering if that was going to happen and knowing she probably deserved it and all that stuff well and it didn't yeah, really sink in for me until a little bit further as things get revealed she'd been carrying around the fact that she was responsible for the deaths of those hundred thousand victims yeah yeah her her story was really deep but she was yeah. the one that had remorse of the group that well done that yeah, was, which i that made her human at that i mean it just humanized yes. her it didn't make exactly. her right or you know anything. No, it definitely it just, didn't it just humanized right. her and when she compared uh, herself to yeah. Oppenheimer, i was just like oh Oh, I get it. Yeah. Uh, it was really hard. I wanted to find a way to clip something in there, but it was, again, not only <laughs> very down, but also you couldn't find a piece of it. And I'm not going to put yeah. a five-minute clip up. So I do have, right. mm -hmm. sorry, one got, major question. I understand why V grows Scarlet Carsons. He grows Scarlet Carsons because the actress in the next cell grew Scarlet Carsons. Mm -hmm. Or the lover of the actress grew Scarlet Carsons to right. be more specific. However, she said that after that, there were no more roses. And then they had at least a year of life with no roses. And then he's the one that got the note, not the one who grew the roses. So why would Delia Surridge connect him specifically to the roses? Because she said, I didn't know you were the terrorist until I saw it. So why did she all of a sudden connect him 
to the roses. Fascinating. That actually, yeah. It has bothered me from the first time I ever saw it. And that one actually might be explained in the source material. It might be something that they didn't that think of in the adaptation <laughs> or got cut. That is really an interesting question because okay, you'd feel like there had to be something momentous you know, about it. My only thought is that it is possible that she knows who he was. Right. She does. They explained that. She knew that he was the person from Room 5. No, 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 no. When I say that, the person, she always refers to him as the person from Room 5. Mm -hmm. But she also says the person from Room 5 says he can no longer remember who he is or where he's from. I'm saying she knows who he was. I think she did. Where he's from, who he is. Or if she just knew him as the man from Room 5, and these were all faceless, nameless. But again, even if she did, if his uh, interest in the Scarlet Carsons was because of Victoria. Unless he had some other connection to her or the Scarlet Carsons in the before life. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. That made her make the connection, even though he might not have made the connection. And made it I don't important know. to him. Yeah. That's a, that's a good yeah, one. It's, it's, that's a good catch. The, the, the Scarlet Carson, him, her saying that I didn't know it was you until I saw the flower has always bugged me. I would not have caught the discrepancy there because it didn't feel forced or, or un, you know, like it wouldn't make sense or something. But you're right. There's no explanation for it. Uh, let's see. Uh, I've, I've just got a few left. I'll kind of roll through them here a little bit. This one, uh, Assault. This violent and unparalleled assault to our security will not go undefended. Where is he? Or unpunished. Penny for the guy. Our enemy is an insidious one, seeking to divide us and destroy the very foundation of our great nation. I've kept my side of the bargain, but have you kept yours? Bring him down. Tonight, we must remain steadfast. We must remain determined. But most of all, we must remain united. I loved the interplay, the way they filmed that. You know, yes. they had, there were so especially many. when he's being marched down the stairs while he's doing the speech. I was going to say there were so <laughs> many things about that that I love. But one of the things that really got me on this viewing that I hadn't before is when I realized that this was a completely empty performance because he's not actually there saying these things. He's being marched down the stairs, but also it keeps showing us all the empty living rooms that it's being broadcast into. No one's sitting yes. there watching. <laughs> yeah, and at first it just showed the televisions. It showed the up-close, right, super in. zoom of the same five televisions <laughs> that we've been going to throughout the story. And then mm-hmm. about halfway through, they back it up a little bit, and you see that all of those people that we've been watching aren't there. <laughs> it was and so it's well right done. about the time that he says we must remain united. united. <laughs> yes. And we realize that we are all united and not there. <laughs> Yep. Oh, it was so well done. I, I, there is a part of me that at least at the, like the old folks home or something, there's a part of me that wishes there had been like one person sitting in a chair, (laughs) you know, that, 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 that person that just won't get involved no matter what. (laughs) Yeah. There should have been one person in the bar, one person in the old folks home. 
I get the families all going together because either you take your kids or you don't. <laughs> Come on, kids. We're going to the revolution. Right. Put on your mask. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I I really did dig that scene. Yes. Although that does beg th- one more question. Like, uh, did he send enough for families to have? Or was it one per household and then they had to come up with their own costumes for the other members of the household? I know he sent out like 200,000 of them, but... I, I think he sent one per person. Yeah, and they didn't give you a specific number. They measured it in boxcars, but... I distinctly had the impression when you see the the full, you know, overhead shot at the end and you see all the people who are out there yeah. that he definitely deliberately made sure that there was enough for every person in the household. A lot. And it's not like it would be hard to find out how many people are in every household when you have a place that actually takes a much more accurate census than we do. And he obviously had access to those systems. Obviously. Yeah. There's actually a mention of the census in the in the book. And I was actually just checking for anything that explains the rose. There isn't. It's pretty much directly from the book. <laughs> for the way they handled it. Oh, so we can blame. So that now we know whose fault it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alan, I really hated that about the adaptation too. <laughs> you missed a trick, Alan. He did. Checked with uh, what's the beard's name? Alan Moore's beard. I can, I can never remember what yeah, he Nick. named the beard. Nick. Nick that's right. Nick. He named it. Oh, I need talk about inside baseball. Uh, bulletproof. Let's quick one. Why don't you die? Beneath this mask, there is more than flesh. Beneath this mask, there is an idea, Mr. Creedy. And ideas are bulletproof. Yes. <laughs> a virus. What a fascinating idea. And and finally, uh, just, just for us kids. No one will ever forget that night and what it meant for this country. But I will never forget the man and what he meant to me. Let's do some thumbs up, thumbs down. You ready to get us started, Rich? I hope so. Me too. All right, thumbs down. <laughs> Here's a nit. There's a nit. I'm nitpicking. Um, okay, I just... Uh, oh, wow, I had to think of my thumbs down. I gotta pick something for thumbs up. Anyways, um, thumbs down. I am going to go with um, the uh, the thing that always kind of gets to me is uh, uh, Stephen Fry's character's house. Uh, Dietrich's house is in the middle of a regular neighborhood. I I guess I get that surveillance isn't everywhere. It's not 1984. They aren't watching you in every corner of your home. But he seemed to have an awful lot of attitudes behind his closed door in a house full of windows that somebody would have said something about somewhere along the line. So I don't know. If, If that's a thumbs down, that's a thumbs down. But his house seemed very open for everything it contained. Uh, but maybe that was a sign of how the tight grip of the uh, controlling group uh, was letting things slip through their fingers. But uh, thumbs up, though, honestly, uh, the verbiage, just the absolute use of language and words with meaning to both entice, entertain, and just create a wonderful exposition. Um, I dream in exposition, so this movie kind of works the way I go. Um, <laughs> just long, 
long conversations, um, which probably actually explains a lot about me as a person. Yes. <laughs> Not even going to try to cover that one up. <laughs> I've been thinking, I'm like, I, I just don't want to slap a five on it because of how much I adore this movie. And you know, I love dystopian to start with, but I I can't find a reason to knock it down. I'm giving it five stars. Nice. Yeah, I I have to admit my curiosity about how everybody was going to feel like because I had a feeling that it's a deep and interesting enough movie and complex enough that we may come out at the end of it with a very high rating across the board, but I've been surprised before. So I was kind of curious to see how things go. And that's a really promising start. Vanessa, what do you think? I mean, obviously you, know you hate think. it. You got the graphic novel. <laughs> okay, so thumbs down. I I had to work on this one. I really did. <laughs> Like, my thumbs down is honestly the the scene where V has Evie hostage. I don't think it is realistic that he would be all of the characters when there are times when there's multiple characters shown. I get that he is. I, 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 it tracks in my head, but it just, it also doesn't track in my head. It annoys me. <laughs> it's a, if you're going to pick nits, that's a good one to pick. Exactly. <laughs> Like, it, there are points when there's multiple characters in the room. You would think she would notice that one of them isn't moving. I would notice things like that. <laughs> I mean, that honestly, that is my biggest problem with this entire movie. Thumbs up. Love the story. Love the acting. Love the music. <laughs> hmm. I think love she liked the movie. everything. I've seen this movie dozens of times. I will continue to watch it dozens of times. I watch it at least once a quarter at this point. Five stars. <laughs> I kind of wonder if it's a movie that you can get more out of the more you watch it. Every time I watch it, I find new things. And, and some of that I just mean kind of in like in the heavy themology and stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, there's so, such deep concepts underneath everything. But how how well it's presented and, and woven in, uh, it kind of depends on where you're at, I think, yeah. mentally when you're watching it. And, yeah. the, and because some of the, the stuff, especially in the third act, is so emotional, actually kind of makes it harder sometimes. I like the emotion in it, you know, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, I mean, that's very immersive. But it, oh, it yeah. does make it a little yeah. harder to focus on some some the, the, the ebb and flow beneath everything yeah. to me. But I, but I like again, the political focus. Let me watch the so. <laughs> I like the story. <laughs> Jason, where are you at on this one? Okay, so I was late to the party with this movie. Because when it first came out, I thought it was glorifying terrorism. And I couldn't get behind that for, you know, just because one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. I just, it was going against a grain of lawfulness that I saw necessary for good guys. So just seeing the trailers and whatnot always made me not want to watch this movie at all. And then I finally saw it, and I realized that it was so far into such a dystopian future that we're not talking about terrorism against a minorly inconvenient government. We're talking about terrorists against, like, Nazi-level offenders. And that is, at, at that point, there is no legal recourse to try and do anything about the system. And I suddenly became all for it. <laughs> and it was justifiable and understandable and supportable. And I was like, oh, yeah, this needs to happen. And I was so moved by 
the symbolism and the similes and the similarities and the uh, callbacks from one to another, you know, really hammering the nail over the head that we cannot let this happen again. And if it does happen, people need to stand up before it's too late and or even after it's too late. After it's too late, it's still not too late. It's never too late for people to stand up and stop what's happening. And I used to watch this movie literally every night as I was falling asleep and let it play in the background as I slept. So there was a period of time that I watched it like a hundred times in three months. <laughs> and or, I or, like you. <laughs> or, or at very least parts of it. I, I, I would, I would often, I would often fall asleep by the end of it because that was what I was going to sleep through. But, uh, visions of V plums danced in my head. <laughs> And I have I have seen it so many times, and it is still powerful every time that I watch it. I will say to Vanessa, if you watch very, very closely with slow motion and whatnot, a lot of the times when you think there's two people in the room, it's one scene overlapping into another, and it's actually only one person in the room at a time. I think the only time where there's two bodies is a point where she's being dragged along the floor and you walk past the feet of the dummy. Other than that, there was only ever one visible person, and okay. you never saw anything above their shoulders. I might have to focus more on that scene next yeah, time. Yeah, you, you might <laughs> replay that machine, because if that's your only thumbs down, you can give it a thumbs up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like Jason enabling. <laughs> but yeah, my thumbs down, there were little things like the rose issue. I, I have an issue with why the roses were important to V or why the roses were connectable to V to Delia. I don't get that. Um, I don't get how he killed every other member of Lark Hill without somebody catching on until he started killing the top five. Yeah. It, it was supposed to be kept point. secret though. Nobody was supposed to know right. about it. But they knew each other. They all knew each other, and as soon as uh, the detectives started looking into Lark Hill at all, the people that knew what was going on automatically put the dots together and said the prominent party members are being killed off. They knew what was going on. You know, they, they connected the dots as soon as it was Prothero and the bishop, just those two. There were dozens, when he scrolled the list, deceased, 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 there were dozens of names on the list by the time there were only three left. And by the time they actually looked at that list, there was only one name left. Dr. Sutton, or Dr. Uh, the one Surge. that... Uh, ult Surridge. Uh, but that wasn't her name yet. Uh, she changed her name to Delia Surridge. I can't remember what it was originally. But uh, the cor the coroner's name was Delia Surridge. The person in the files was a different name because she changed her name out of guilt to try and disappear. Um, but <laughs> little things like that bug me. I, I, I don't get how he is so good at breaking into the building. How, how did he get into the tower where Prothero was undetected? I know he had Evie's badge to swipe on the elevator, but there's a lot of building there. 
How did he get to the... That one, they the, do explain a little bit in the book. Okay, but there were just... Um, <laughs> how did he get all the way up to the camera room where he took everybody hostage in, in, in Studio 3? There, He was too good at what he was doing, and it's not like he could just be a normal person walking through the streets and then put on his mask. Right. <coughs> You know, unless he was going as Rookwood all the time, because he did have some really cool prosthetics. True. Yeah. Good point. You know, but there there were just little things that made me go, "How did he get away with it for this long? <laughs> He's been doing. How did he unblock and retrain the tunnel after twenty years? Twenty years of removing bricks and laying tracks of his own." to collect millions of pounds of fertilizer and dozens upon dozens of bricks of C4. How does a train going under Parliament blow up Big Ben from the inside? I understand it collapsing, but the pyrotechnics that happened on Parliament wouldn't have happened from a train blowing up underneath. All All of these things said... This movie is amazing. This movie is powerful. This movie should be seen again and again and again until people understand why they need freedom. Damn, dude. (laughs) I love it. This movie gets five stars. Nice. Yeah, just so you know, the reason he got away with all of that stuff is the drugs that he was given in Larkhill gave him supernatural abilities, like super fast agility, reflexes, all that other fun stuff. Super. I knew that he had superpowers (laughs) because, like, you know, being able to withstand the bullets for the most part and the the punch when you when he hits a guy, they fly a hundred (laughs) feet. Yeah, but. I didn't realize that it was super, super, super speed and stuff. So, yeah, yeah I, I get he's that He's got now. agility and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Kid, what do you think, man? So, yes, I agree. He had super speed and super agility and all of these things from the drugs and the mutations. But one thing he didn't have is eyes. And that's just a little bit difficult for me to follow, to swallow. Because, I mean, even if you have Daredevil's freaky radar sonar sense or whatever, there are a lot of things that that doesn't let you do. And he doesn't ever show any sign of struggling with being able to perceive and interact with his environment. Um, And I can't think of anything that the drugs or mutation could have given him that would explain how he could do all of that blind. Um, they referred to the kinetic. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they referred to him having a abilities. kinesthesis, which is which is a magnified sense of your body's movement and where you are in relation to yourself. But that doesn't let you read print off a page, for example, or uh, off yeah, of a computer a monitor. Um, so that's a major tough one for me. Um, I feel like the movie should have at least given us something to explain that, some kind of hand wave or lampshade for that. Um, you know, maybe something about him being able to regenerate his his visual organs. I don't know, which is not something that you can normally do. Uh, the other major thing for me, uh, and you had picked out a few little nitpicks, but going back to Dietrich, Dietrich, uh, the other big one, and I said I'd come back to this later, I cannot be sold on the idea that someone who had been doing the job he had been doing for as long as he'd been doing it and hiding what he'd been hiding for as long as he'd been hiding it could have misread the situation enough to believe he could make that performance and he was just going to get a slap on the wrist and a fine. 
there is no way he didn't know that they were going to be coming for him with a black bag after he made that mockery of uh, the high chancellor on TV. I cannot buy that. He was just not that naive. He could never have made it to where he was if he were. Yeah, I still I still had a feeling that he knew that he was sacrificing then, himself. Then he was endangering Evie, and that doesn't scan for me either. He should have told her yeah. to get out if he knew that it was going to go down that way, and he should have known it was going to go down that way. He didn't. You know, yeah, my impression was yeah. he, that he honestly thought he was going to get away with it at some level. And I just can't swallow yeah. that. It's too unbelievable for me that he could have been that blind to the current situation, the political chaos and the danger and the overreactions, the escalating situation that he fed that into. I just... It's too much. All of that being said, those are the only things other than a little bit of agreement with other people's thumbs downs that I can thumbs down about this. This is an incredible and epic piece of work, a masterpiece in so many ways and on so many levels. And that in itself is one of my specific thumbs ups because I very rarely watch a movie that has this many layers to it that all interweave and interrelate with each other so beautifully and so flawlessly. But there are a couple of specific things that I have to shout out, call out that I adored. And the biggest one that I'm going to lead off with, in fact, this may be the only one I specifically point out because I know we've run pretty far here. The triple montage, the entire scene where you have uh, the inspector mm -hmm. giving his breakdown of this is what's right. going to happen. And then you have the scenes of the actual escalation happening. And then you have V laying out the dominoes and it keeps interpolating back and forth between those three different things was so absolutely beautifully done. And you don't see filmmakers trying to do something of that complexity very often because it's hard to keep people invested when you're spreading yourself across three different things like that. But they did it so perfectly, so beautifully, and it gets it also massive. Go ahead. Very emotional moment. It yes. was also, I mean, so you're all caught up in it all, yeah. too. I mean, they shot a little girl in the middle of that. I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. Um, yeah. There is really a massive emotional impact to all of this and i rarely call out a film for something that is done in terms of cinematics because i get so pulled into the story and the characters and that's what i like to focus on but this caught my attention and i had to point it out because oh it just made me feel so invested um nice everything being said all put together there's no question that I am absolutely in love with this movie. It is the second best film by the Wachowskis that I have ever seen, uh, topped only by Dream Atlas. And as a result, I'm sure anyone who remembers what I gave Dream Atlas will not be surprised when I give this movie four and a half and a half stars. Four and a half and a half? Yes. Absolutely love it. Is it are you adding the half to, half to the four and a half? Yes. Four and a half and a half. That's five stars. Okay. To make sure, to right. make sure I'm clear, doing the math. I'm just writing down four the and, and a half because that's how math works. You have it a man. No, he said four <laughs> and a half and a half. I was just trying to make sure I didn't right, have to give five. it five and a half stars to somehow make up for it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's Cloud Atlas, by the way, the best Wachowski you see. You don't know the name of apparently. Oh, did I say? What did I actually say? Dream Atlas. Dream Atlas. I, Dream I love Atlas. it. Oh, I know exactly why I said that too. Yes, Cloud Atlas. Thank yeah. you for correcting me. All right. Five stars for me, Rich. I'm sure that's no surprise at this point. Is this the first time we've ever done that? Yes. Yes. yes we yes, have at, at, f at four and three quarters, we have bed knobs and broomsticks. 
Odd Thomas and Cloud Atlas, and now we have our first 5.0. Wow. Which V is Roman numeral 5, so it works. Actually, see that coming. That is really great. (laughs) Really great. All right, guys. Can I say one thing to Jason before we go? Yeah. Always. When Delia was talking about, when Delia was going through the diary the day of the explosion, Uh where we learned he had no eyes, Uh she said he was staring at me. Not with eyes. There were no eyes. But I know he was looking at me. That's your hand wave. Oh, he could see. That's that's something actually pretty strong. Um, I I had interpreted that more figuratively, but you're right. She was not a person not who with eyes. There were no eyes, right? but he was you, looking at me. She is not a person who would have again. recorded that figuratively. So I I feel like that's pretty solid. Thank you. Yep. It also doesn't say the same thing in the book. I was just checking that scene. So. I was just like, I'm curious because I was more taken so, in by the fact that they zoomed in and you could see that he had empty eye sockets because otherwise I wouldn't have taken it literally that he had no eyes, but valid. Very good. Some level. I don't care about the quality of the adaptation and I don't think we have the luxury to when we gave the whole thing five freaking stars. across. The <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I was episodes. just looking to see what it said as comparison because I found the exact scene. I'm watching <laughs> it again Saturday and Monday. So <laughs> get your oh, weekend God. planned out, right? <laughs> Vanessa, what's next? Pacific Rim. Pack yeah, Rim, guys. Yes. But we're not going to have five-star movies Thank back you. to back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Right. Everybody be sure to watch it so you're, you're in the conversation when Jason starts to take it apart. <laughs> and uh, For Richard, for Jason, for Vanessa, and the kid, my name is Eric. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Exposition Street. Have a good one. Bye.